0: Thank you for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We are in a series on prayer right now called Praying for a Change. Now, many of us are praying for something to change, but we aren't sure how to do it. Others of us barely pray and need to start praying for a change. This series is intended to help with both. So come learn with us as we develop a hunger for God in prayer, as well as some practical tools to help us pray better. And as always, if you need anything, please find us at our website, tablechurchdsm.org. Now please enjoy this week's teaching.
1: Good morning, Table Church. My name is Jonathan. I serve with Rise Up, and I'll be reading the scripture with you today. It comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. I will read it in Swahili and then in English. Masomo yetu ya leo yanatoka katika kitabu cha Luka mlango wa 10 mistari ya 16 hadi 20. Yesu akasema, yeye awasikilizaye ninyi anisikilaza mimi. Naye awakataae nini, amenikataa mimi. Lakini yeye anikataae mimi amkataa yeye aliyenituma. Wale sabini na wawili wakarudi kwa furaha na kusema, Bwana, hata pepo wachafu anatuti wa kwa jina lako. Yesu wakawambia, Telemo anachatani yankwe kutoka mbinguni kama umeme wa radi. Tazama mewapa mamlaka ya kukanyaga nyoka na nge na kushinda nguvu zote za adui. Wala kuna kitu chochote kitakachowazuru. Lakini msifurai kwa vile pepo wanaviwatii, bali furaieni kwa sababu majina yenu yameandikwa mbinguni. In English, Jesus says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me.
0: And thank you, Jonathan. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. My name is Phil Wiseman. I'm the lead pastor here at Table Church. And I just want to reiterate quick what Megan said. If you're new to Table Church, I hope you'll join us tonight at Table Talk. Just make sure to put that on your connection card so we know you're coming. We'll see it after service. We'd love to have you. Um, We're having tacos, if that gets you at all. Um, I don't know. It would me. So... And um, also, I want you to know that we have a membership class coming up on March 25th at 9 a.m. And if you want to learn more about what it means to be a member of Table Church, you can put that on your connection card as well. Membership. Just write that on there. not You're not commi- committing to anything by coming to the class. You're just coming to learn. Um, but then if, of course, you decide that's what you want to do, you want to make this your team, you want to commit to Table Church, we would love to have you do that. So be sure to let us know on your connection card. So, uh, we're starting a new sermon series today, and I've done something I've never done since starting Table Church three years ago. Um, I like to kind of plan ahead. I, I write my sermon series, my, like my preaching schedule is done a year in advance. I actually write my sermons four or five weeks in advance. Like I've got the sermon that I'm preaching, you know, four or five weeks from now written already. I just like to try to be ahead in this stuff. And so I had written today's sermon some time ago, but um, I boy, God has just been messing me up a little bit lately and just in my prayer life. And, and it's interesting because there's others in our congregation that I talk to and they say the exact same thing. And I'm like, what is God doing? He's stirring something among us, it seems. And, and I had actually decided to, to do a prayer series after our previous one. But today we were supposed to still be in our last series, God in the Margins. But I said, no. I want to get to the prayer series. I don't want to wait another week, and so I actually scrapped a sermon and wrote another one for today on prayer because I just have felt so strongly. It's time we we need to press into whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. And 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 as I said in the in the in the um, in the prayer earlier, this series is not just about prayer. It's about declaring war on spiritual mediocrity. I want us to just press into what God is doing in this season as a church leading up to Easter and see what kind of stuff he might do in our hearts. And so the series is called Praying for a Change. Some of you have been praying for something to change for a long time. Some of you need to start actually praying for a change. And so it works on both levels. And I hope that this this series will do two things. Number one, I hope that it will inspire you to pray more if you're not. And number two, I hope it will give you tools for prayer if you are, and when you are. And so today, though, um, by means of introduction to prayer and kind of to to this life that I think God is inviting us into, I want to talk about a very um, kind of dangerous phrase. And that phrase is spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. It's a dangerous phrase because spiritual authority has been terribly misused. By many people in the church. So I want to be clear. The authority I'm talking about today is not the kind of authority that a person like a a church leader, an elder, or a pastor has or doesn't have over the people in their congregation. That's not the kind of spiritual authority I mean. I want to talk about the spiritual authority that you have as a spirit-filled follower of Jesus. So let's try to define spiritual authority today. In Luke 10, Jesus sends out 72 of his followers for ministry, and he tells them to heal the sick. He teaches them to discern the hearts of the people that they meet. He warns them they're going to encounter resistance. And they go out and they do their ministry, and it goes really well. People are healed. People come to the Lord, and they they get back to Jesus, and they're so excited. They cry out to Jesus. They say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Like This is incredible. And so Jesus tells them, he has kind of this cryptic thing that he replies with. You heard it earlier. Jonathan just read it. Uh, He says to them, look, I was there when Satan fell. I saw Satan fall, he said. And, And I think the point of this is that Jesus is saying, look, I'm stronger than Satan. I presided over his defeat. And he's essentially saying, I am imparting some of that authority to you. Crazy, isn't it? He says, I have given you authority to trample over on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you, he says. Now, some people you know, will read that last phrase, nothing will harm you. And this is what compels some preachers, to preach like a health and wealth gospel, like for a simple donation, monthly donation to my ministry, like you will have nothing but, you can claim your destiny in Jesus and have nothing but peace and prosperity in your future. That sounds pretty cool, right? I better give money to that guy. No, you also have to read what Jesus says in chapter 21. He says, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues to put you in prison. You will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. And so in one breath, Jesus is saying, nothing will harm you. In another breath, he's saying, you're going to go to jail. <laughs> like, which is it, Jesus? And, and, and so what this tells me here is, is that um, when Jesus gives authority to his disciples, he says, nothing can harm you. He's talking about a different realm. We're talking about an authority that, that manifests in a different realm. Now, this realm is not completely separate from this one that we're in now. It's not separate. In fact, what happens in one very much affects what happens in the other. And and it seems to me that this other realm that we're talking about, the New Testament thinks that one is actually more significant, more important, more real than this one. And that is the realm in which this authority primarily rests. Throughout the book of Acts, we see the disciples continue to exercise authority over impure spirits, over illnesses. People are getting healed and people are getting delivered. And we get another clue into the meaning of spiritual authority in Mark chapter 9. A man's son is possessed by an impure spirit and Jesus' disciples, they try but they cannot deliver this guy from this evil spirit. And so they have to bring the boy to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we couldn't do it. Like we tried but we couldn't do it. And here's what Jesus says. He says this kind can only come out by prayer. It can only come out by prayer, which makes me wonder, like, did they not try that, you know? Like, that's the first thing I did. I'm Like, there's a demon here. I'm gonna pray, you know? Apparently, they hadn't done that yet. But more deeply, we're learning something else about spiritual authority. First, we're learning that it's not your power. It's not your power, right? The, the disciples, they were helpless in the face of this challenge. It's God's power. You're simply the vessel. Second, we're learning that prayer is what powers spiritual authority. Prayer is the role that we play in this. And so I think we're in a position to offer a rough definition of what I'm talking about with spiritual authority. By the way, I'm not sure that, that phrase ever occurs in the Bible. What we're talking, we're trying to draw correlations and patterns and data that we see in the scriptures in order to kind of create a teaching on this phenomenon that seems to occur there on spiritual authority. And so here, here's kind of the definition that I'm working from. It's this spiritual authority is a position that is both gained and granted. We'll talk about that in a second where God's power and wisdom are manifest in a person to accomplish God's will in supernatural ways. That's spiritual authority. It's where God can use you to do the miraculous on Earth. Now, we said it's a position that is both gained and granted. What do I mean by this? Well, when I say it is gained, I mean that you have a role to play in this. It's a position that you gain. That role is prayer, surrender, repentance, consecration. I've referenced Psalm 24 already today. It says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Listen, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's our role. That's how it is gained. By ruthlessly eliminating the sin in our hearts, by coming before God and saying, Lord, search me and know me. Create in me a pure heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, as the psalmist says. That's our role. But look, just because you do those things, which you should do those things, um, because God is worthy of it, But just because you do it doesn't mean that you're suddenly going to get all this spiritual power. Because God's not a vending machine. That's not how God works. There's no formula. You can just plug in and then boop, out spits spiritual authority for you. It's something that God gives. And look, I believe every spirit-filled believer has spiritual authority to some degree. But there seems to be some in the New Testament who wield it more than others. Think about Peter and John and Paul in the book of Acts. And so this, this topic is important to learn about, but like I said at the beginning, it's also dangerous because when we start talking about this, a lot of times what happens, and especially when you start to see it, when you start to see miracles and prayers answered in kind of incredible ways, you, what, you, what starts to happen sometimes is we get greedy. We want more. We become like, like Smeagol, you know, like Gollum with the ring of power. Like we're just kind of drawn to its allure, to its, the power it gives us, the mystery, the idea of kind of being on the inside track with God, of having this special knowledge. And so a lot of people, and these are the ones that unfortunately make a lot of noise and get a lot of airtime on the TV, they're going to actually make more, try to make more of whatever spiritual authority they have or don't have in order to try and impress people. And as we're going to see, that's, that's the road to trouble here. But since it's such a delicate, touchy, and dangerous subject, yet important subject, something we need to understand and we need to live out, I want to talk first about what spiritual authority is not today. So number one, spiritual authority is not a parlor trick. A parlor trick is a trick that you do to entertain people, to amaze people, to, um, you know, I don't know, make yourself look cool. In Acts chapter 8, there's a man named Simon the Sorcerer. And um, he seems to be able to do some tricks, but he sees the real power of the disciples and he thinks, ooh, I want that. And he actually goes and offers Peter and John money if they will give him that power. Listen to what Peter says. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Look, the last person who will be granted such a a gift is the person who desperately wants it. It's the last person that'll have it. The last person to have it will be the person that thinks they deserve it. Remember, remember, uh, Peter just said some pretty strong words. Uh, Peter's exercising a little bit of authority here, he might say. You know how Peter got there? You remember? Peter messed up in just about every way imaginable. One time, Peter actually talks back to Jesus. He actually says, Jesus, I know better than you. He says that he rebukes Jesus. And Jesus starts talking about his suffering. Another time, Peter denies ever knowing Jesus. Multiple times, Peter went through the ringer a little bit. Peter got humbled. When by the time we see the Peter of Acts, we're not seeing the Peter of the Gospels anymore. We're seeing a Peter who has failed miserably, experienced the incredible grace of God to restore him, and realize, look, I, this is not me. <laughs> I, I this is not by my power. There's nothing special about me. I'm kind of a I'm a miserable sinner, but I know Jesus. He's the one who has the power. He's the one who has the authority. Only a person with clean hands and a pure heart can step into this. Number two, just because you had spiritual authority at one time does not mean you still have it. God came to King Solomon and he said, ask me for anything that you want. And Solomon doesn't ask for long life or for power for money. He asks for wisdom. And God is pleased with this request, and so God gives him wisdom. He becomes the wisest man in the land. But eventually, something goes wrong in Solomon's heart. Solomon builds the temple for God, and it's beautiful, and God's presence fills it. But look what the last sentence of 1 Kings 6 says. It starts to give us a little insight into what's going on in Solomon's heart. It says he had spent seven years building it. Solomon spent seven years building God's temple. Now look at the very next sentence in the Bible. The next verse is 1 Kings 7, verse 1. It says, it took Solomon 13 years, however, to complete the construction of his palace. So Solomon spends almost twice as long making his palace as he does making God's palace. And isn't that instructive for us? To say, yeah, God's really, really, really important to me, but I'm more important. Something had started to change in Solomon. He's starting to think he's a big deal. That maybe he doesn't really need God. God is starting to become kind of an auxiliary To his life. And before long, Solomon is worshiping false gods. And so the Lord comes to Solomon and he says, Look, because of your father David, I'm not going to take the kingdom from you, but I am going to take it from your son. And that's what happens. Look, some of us have been, we've been there, we've been on the spiritual mountaintop. You've had these moments with God that are incredible. And then life happens. You know what happens after the mountain? The valley comes, you know? Life happens a little bit. The valley can be a lot of things. It can just be your heart kind of grows cold over time, you know? You, maybe leaders in the church disappoint you. Maybe you get, you know, beat up and bruised in the church. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, you, you just your, your heart that was once on fire for God has slowly kind of gotten replaced by a critical spirit. You once thrived in ministry, but now you're better at talking about what needs to change than actually creating change. Sometimes when we're young and on fire, the thing that extinguishes the flame is just a good dose of adulting. Like, this is me. We planted a church when we were 25, and it was amazing, and it just blew up, and it went crazy, and we were going to lunch with friends every day after church, and you know we didn't have any kids, and we were just doing whatever, like, had these incredible times of prayer with our core team, and it was amazing. God was working miracles in our midst and then you get older, and you got more responsibility. You buy a house, you have kids, you get a promotion, like, and things start to get tough. And pretty soon, things start to grow cold, and maybe you start to get a little cynical, and now you're just trying to make it to the lazy boy after work. Like, what happened? What happened? Here's what we need to remember. A dynamic relationship with God. I'm not even going to say it can happen in difficult times. I, I'm going to say it happens especially in difficult times. Is life tough for you right now? I'm sorry to hear that. You are perfectly positioned for God to use you. You You're perfectly positioned to encounter God in a way you never have before. What often happens is life beats the passion out of us. The love that we had for God once is now gone and it gets replaced by criticism or confusion. We talk about this a lot. The seeds sown among the thorns, Jesus talks about this. The thorns, it's the worries and the riches of this life that choke the gospel out of us. Just because you had it once doesn't mean you still have it. But here's the good news, you can have it again. You can have it again. We must pursue God every day. He can be found in any circumstance in our lives. Nothing has happened to you that precludes you from experiencing the presence of God. And finally, number three, spiritual authority is not the same as spiritual activity. This is a word that our generation desperately needs to hear. Spiritual authority is not the same as spiritual activity. And we got a lot of busy Christians. In Acts 19, there was a priest. His name was Sceva. And he had seven sons. And uh, these sons saw the spiritual authority of Paul to heal the sick, to cast out demons. And they thought, well, that looks pretty cool. Like, I... I want to try that. And so they started trying to cast demons out too. And they would say to the demon, they say, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And the guys would look at them and they'd say, well, we've heard of Jesus we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And then they proceeded to beat these guys up. They had spiritual activity, but they did not have spiritual authority. They were not rooted in Christ. Today we have a lot of busy Christians. We have a lot of church programs, we have a lot of small groups, but look, what this moment in history needs is not more spiritual activity, but more people with spiritual authority, people who are willing to say, God, how can I ascend your mountain? Richard Foster says, what the world needs is not more intellectual people, or gifted people, but more deep people. Now, if you volunteer at Table Church, I'm not trying to persuade you to quit. Although, if it is somehow, if like your involvement in this church is somehow keeping you from knowing God more, then yes, you should quit. I hope that it's not. I would have a hard time understanding how it is. But if it is, then yes, you should quit. But what are we doing? It should come out of a life that wants to know God and wants others to know God. A life that sees the crucial nature of gathering and worship and how that should be central to our lives and that when we come here on Sunday morning, this is such a weird thing we're doing, you know? Like this is the weekend, you guys. You guys work hard. What are you doing here, you know? It's because this matters. Because something is happening here in us and among us. This community is special. You can't get this anywhere else. And so God is doing something here, and we know that it matters, and we know it's important, and so we give our hearts and our lives and our time to it. That's why we should do it. But if it becomes a replacement for knowing God, that's a problem. We need to pursue spiritual authority over spiritual activity. We need people who have sought the Lord with all their heart, like Deuteronomy 429 says, people who have have surrendered themselves so that God can use them to move mountains, Jesus says. People who are fed up with the spiritual status quo and want to start to learn what Jesus means when he says, abide in me. Pete Gregg is the founder of the 24-7 movement, 24-7 prayer movement, and um, they have this international movement of prayer where there's prayer rooms all throughout the world and there's constantly people praying He tells a story of an accountant named Deb Welch, and Deb um, felt the Lord call her to quit her job as an accountant in order to become um, a leader for 24-7 prayer over the state of Arizona. So her job was to kind of schedule and organize and recruit uh, prayer intercessors throughout the state. And the Super Bowl was coming to Phoenix that year, and one of her intercessors had a horrible dream she said that she dreamed that she saw the stadium filled with blood and was like, well, that's weird. Nobody quite knew what to make of it. But this woman was so, so convinced that something bad was going to happen that Deb finally said, okay, okay, I will send, I'll dispatch a group of prayer of intercessors to the stadium, the day of the Super Bowl. And so there was a small group of Christians in the parking lot that day praying against bloodshed. And Uh, The the game came and went with no incident. Uh, The Patriots beat the Giants, and it was just a a regular Super Bowl, as everyone had hoped. And then afterwards, Deb said she felt a little silly for sending people there to pray. Maybe felt like a bit of an overreaction, based on just a random dream. But then the news came out. Outlets started reporting of a man named Kurt William Havelock who had been denied a liquor license for the horror-themed bar he wanted to open in town. He had sent a series of threatening letters to news outlets saying he was going to seek revenge for the pain that people had caused him. He drove to the stadium that day, armed with an AR-15 and 200 rounds, but he had no way of knowing that he parked his car right next to a group of Christians praying against bloodshed. As he sat in his car, he would later report in the courtroom, that he quote had a change of heart. The LA Times reports this, but as he sat in his car waiting for football fans to arrive at the Glendale, Arizona Stadium, he told police later, a sense of numbness came, overcame him, and he changed his mind about the attack. Haviluk's father was the first person he called, and, and he says that he was weeping, sobbing uncontrollably. Dad, I've done something horribly wrong, he said. He then turned himself into the police without a single shot being fired. Look, I don't know anything about those intercessors. They're just regular people. But that's spiritual authority right there. That is inhabiting a position that you've gained through obedience to Christ that's been granted to you by his his goodwill and God's will being manifest in you in order to affect his will on earth. That's spiritual authority right there. Tyler Statton is the pastor of Bridgetown Church. Uh, Bridgetown Church, you might be familiar, more, more of us are familiar probably with John Mark Comer. He replaced John Mark Comer at his church. Um, and he wrote a book on prayer. It's, it's great. But he tells a story at the beginning of the book. When he was in the summer before his eighth grade year, he didn't even know if he believed in God. But he knew if God was real, like that's, that matters, you know. And, and so somebody challenged him to do a prayer experiment. And so he took him up on the challenge. And what he did was he prayed Around his middle school, every day that summer, he would walk around the school in prayer, and he had a list of all the students in his class, and he would pray for every single student by name. And by the end of the summer, he had worn a path around that school. And when the school year started, he asked the administration if he could, if he could uh, start a Jesus club at 6.30 in the morning, perfect time for eighth graders, as we know This club soon filled up the math room that they had and had to move to a theater. And by the end of the year, at least a third of his eighth grade class had accepted Christ. Apparently, eighth graders can have spiritual authority. What would it do in our city if God unleashed an army of people that are willing to be used by him? Like that eighth grader was. We need this generation of Christians to pursue spiritual authority over spiritual activity. Or maybe I could say it like this. We need our spiritual activity to flow out of our spiritual authority. Instead of our spiritual activity being an attempt to somehow harness or get or receive this thing from God. It starts in the secret place. It starts in your your prayer closet, you know. Jesus talks about going to your closet to pray. It starts in your heart in that private place with God where you do business with him every day, where you cry out to him, where you yearn for him, where you say, Lord, show me, search me, tell me, what is it that I got to do in my heart? That's where it happens. That's where it starts. So we said spiritual authority is both gained and granted. It's something God gives, but we also have a role to play. And here's what I think. I think God is waiting to do his part once he finds a people willing to do their part. Augustine says this, without God we cannot, without us God will not. Many of you have heard about the Asbury outpouring that was going on a few weeks ago. It's on social media and Asbury College. God just started moving in crazy ways. Thousands of people all over the world started coming there just to worship and pray. You know, we tend to think sometimes that these sorts of things just happen kind of, I don't know, off the cuff, just kind of a random thing. Nobody was looking for it, and all of a sudden, boom, God shows up. It wasn't random. I read a story about how the worship culture with the worship leaders, student worship leaders looked in, uh, in that school. And you know that they would pray for 30 minutes before going on stage. In fact, before that, they would have what's called, they called it a consecration room. The consecration room is the place where if you're gonna get on stage and lead worship at Asbury, uh, you got to go to the consecration room for an hour and that's where they would pray over you for an hour and you would confess sin, you would ask God to search your heart and then and only then are you allowed to go lead worship on stage. Like, I wonder if God is waiting to find a people willing to do their part and that's, that's doing your part, you know? That's saying, God, I can't control you but here I am, do what you want. And that's what they were doing. In fact, there's a story about a worship leader. They called him and said, hey, can you come lead? Uh, just to give the students a little break that are leading. And so he came, and he went through the consecration room and everything, got up there, started to lead, and pretty soon one of the students comes, taps him on the shoulder and says, "Um, we we need you to stop leading worship. We just kind of sense that your heart isn't isn't right. (laughs) Can you imagine? And, And he said, they were right. My heart wasn't quite right. God is looking for a people who are willing to surrender in order to ascend his mountain with clean hands and a pure heart. God is looking for a people who will labor in prayer, who will make it the task of a lifetime to pray. I don't mean sending good vibes and warm thoughts. I mean people who will go to battle, people who will wear out the grass in their city, as they circle it in prayer. People who will give their lives to pursuing holiness and love. A people of spiritual authority will stand for what is good and right even when the winds of culture change. We'll have a rootedness in the wisdom that comes from God. Listen, When we get past the point that 99% of Christians in the West are at, where they're still just trying to make room for prayer, trying to work on my prayer life, trying to find time to pray and to read the scripture. like When we get to the point where we say, enough, I'm going to get up 15 minutes earlier. I'm going to skip a meal once a week. I'm going to do what I have to do because this is central to my life. You know, John... I'm sorry, yeah, John Tyson, the pastor in New York, says that there is a war being raged for the center of your life. What is at the center of your life? Whatever is at the center of your life, everything else adjusts for that. And so if you're having a hard time getting other things to adjust for God, that might mean that you need to make God the center of your life. It might tell you what's really at the center. It's when we get past that point where most Christians are and say, no, this isn't This isn't some sort of, you know, saintly spirituality. This isn't being extreme. This is actually normal Christian living. That's when God will start to do something. That's when God will start to use us. We must become a people who hunger for God's presence and value it above all else. Look, spiritual authority happens when you don't just pray, but when your life becomes a prayer. So I want to ask you this question as we end. Are you tired of spiritual mediocrity? What would you be willing to do to break that pattern? Would you be willing to do anything? I think I would. It's time to start praying for a change, huh? And so we have um, coming up, I'm going to invite you into this. Um, you can sign up on your connection card. We're going to be doing the prayer practice. It's a four-week practice with Practicing the Way. That's John Mark Comer's nonprofit that he started to help kind of integrate spiritual disciplines and rhythms into churches better. And so it's just a four-week prayer class that we're doing together, and we're going to do two sessions of it. The first one's going to be for men. The second one's going to be for women. I'm going to lead the one for men. Megan, Pastor Megan's going to lead the one for women. And I hope that what that does is two things. Number one, helps us kind of dig deep into prayer and have intimate and uh, vulnerable conversations. But number two, um, you know, spouses can, can trade off. You know, that way one stays home with the kids while the other goes, and then vice versa. And so this is our opportunity as a, prayer, as, a, as, a, uh, as a congregation to step up and say, we need to press into this. We need to be hungry for this and learn as much about how to be people of prayer as we can. And look, maybe you got something going on at 4 o'clock on Sundays, but I bet most of you don't. And so sign up on your connection card, you can just put prayer class on there or something to that effect. Prayer class would probably be the best, and we will be in touch with you. But for the men, we're going to start March 26th, and then April 2nd, and then April 16th, and then April 23rd. So we're, there's a gap between April 2 and 16th because we're skipping Easter. We're not going to meet on Easter. And then the women will start on um, April 30th. I'm sorry. My slide is wrong. Not March 30th. Whatever the last Sunday of April is, that's when the women will start, and uh, they will go through May for just the four consecutive weeks after that. All right, so sign up, and we'll get you more information, and we would just love to have, I know we're not going to get every single person there, but I would love to just have a surprising number of people saying, you know what, this matters. I need this in my life. It's, it's time to be done with what so many people do, of just saying, you know, I really need to work on my prayer life. No, let's go. Let's get this. This is the most important thing in life if we follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, help us in this assault on spiritual mediocrity. Enable us, encourage us, compel us, and draw us, Lord. Help us to know that you not only want us, but you are able to bring it to us. Give us, Lord, the passion in our hearts that we need to pursue you above all else, to set aside all the other distractions. I know many of us, life is busy, hard, maybe a little overwhelming, and so we don't pray. But Lord, this should be the opposite. All those things should compel us into prayer more, and when we do, we meet you there. Lord, I want something to change in this room, in our hearts, in this church. Praying for something big something that only you can do, something that would be so clearly beyond the capabilities of Phil Wiseman's leadership that, Lord, people are like, what's going on there? God must be moving. Lord, would you use us? Would you have your way among us, I pray? Humble us, consecrate us, sanctify us, use us. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.